Our scripture reading this morning is from the New Testament, chap, uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, and we've been talking about favorite verses, and I have to say that this passage includes my all-time favorite verse, so I'm very happy to be reading it today. First, let's pray for illumination. Gracious God, help us to listen for your word. By your spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do faith to faithfully serve Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Romans 8, or Romans 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There are some scripture passages that preach themselves, aren't there? Well, today we continue in our series titled, Victorious, the Triumph of Life in the Rising of Jesus Christ. And we have finished our month-long study going in-depth into one of the great chapters on the impact of the resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that path that we have taken was at least partially inspired by Handel's Messiah, which draws deeply from 1 Corinthians 15 in its concluding part three. Handel's masterpiece doesn't end there, but continues on with a few more songs. And we will continue on with some of these texts through the end of this series, which concludes two weeks from today on Father's Day. Handel's Messiah continues its triumphant message by touching on another great chapter of Scripture, which we have heard read 
Romans 8. The song, If God is for us, reflects on the powerful impact of Jesus' victory over sin and death. Now today is Pentecost, which marks the beginning of the church when the promised Holy Spirit was given by Jesus to the church. The powerful spiritual life present in Jesus' resurrection from the dead is with us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is spoken of in Romans 8 as a first fruit. You might think of it as a deposit of the triumphant resurrection life that is assured in Christ. The Spirit gives God's people life. You might think of the Holy Spirit as the agent of our very own resurrection from the dead. Romans 8.11, this is previous to the, the section that we read, says this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. One of the life-giving aspects of the Holy Spirit's work within us and among the church is mentioned in verse 26, just before this passage that we read. It says this, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us in a way beyond words. The Spirit helps us. The concept of help would be a good one for us to discuss with each other. So, I invite you to gather with two or three or four people around you. Make sure no one is left out. Look around. And gather together and share about a time when someone helped you. Or a time when you helped someone else. Turn toward each other. Gather together and share. Go ahead and try this at home as well. If you're alone at home, feel free to just think through this question. Share about a time when someone helped you or when you helped someone else. I guess that's a a taste of the conversation. I'm sure if you're in a larger group, perhaps you didn't get your chance to share. We have a lot of experiences to share, don't we? It's a very human experience to be in need, in need of help, and someone helps us. Or uh, we find ourselves on the other side of of really uh, saying yes to the invitation to help someone out. Um, I want to give a shout out to all of the AAA tow truck drivers who have rescued me Along, along the path of life. That's, you know, when I, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, God is working in our lives through the Holy Spirit in the direction of 
the good and the glory. The good. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now this is a promise for those who are in Christ. Who is this promise for? It's for those who love God, who are called, called according to his purpose. Now, you have to understand the connection between our good and our glory to understand that it's talking about those who are called. Because if you move on to verse 30, it says, And those he predestined, he also called. So this is who we're talking about. Those whom God has called, an effectual call, as uh, uh, the theologians would call it, those are the people that God has justified through the death of Jesus Christ for their sins. And those he justified, he also glorified. So being justified before God because of Jesus' death as a sacrifice for our sins, then through his resurrection, it empowers us to be glorified. When in Scripture, and especially in the New Testament and the writings of Paul, when it talks about our glorification, we're talking about this whole phenomenon of our resurrection to eternal life, just as Christ has been raised. It follows this same thing that we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, where it says Jesus is the firstborn of many sisters and brothers, referring to his resurrection that then we follow in. And this is an important aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as help for us. Because, because we are people who experience weakness. The word for weakness can also be translated disease or affliction here. This is not just a slight little, oh, it was a moment of weakness. This is the human condition. This is the, the uh, example of our finitude, the finiteness of human being, our vulnerability. This is the we are not God in the God is God and we are not. It is generally descriptive of our inability to lift ourselves out of the quandaries of human existence. We need a hand up. The Greek concept of help really kind of uh, helps us with some word pictures that it really is a reaching out of the hand to lend someone a hand and pull them up or to steady them. The Holy Spirit works toward the good in our lives, and it's so meaningful because of how vulnerable our lives are to the opposite of what is good. The Holy Spirit works in the midst of our experience of the not good, which we have plenty of experience with. We don't know what it's like to not have the Spirit interceding and working for our good. But the Holy Spirit also, as part of the working in our, the good in our lives, also is working toward the long game and working toward our glory. We can't get there on our own. The Spirit takes us there. When I was thinking about the Spirit taking us there to glory, 
the, the song in my mind by the Staples Singers, the gospel group, I Know a Place, I'll Take You There. I'm not going to sing it for you, but now it's starting to go through in your mind because they repeat, I'll take you there all throughout the song. That's a song about heaven. That's a song about eternal life. It really is a song about the Spirit taking us where we couldn't go on our own. Help is something that we need when we can't do something on our own, by our own strength or by our own wisdom. Now, in our society, it can be difficult to even admit that we need help. Perhaps you found that to be true, that, that maybe even sharing with one another in the safety and security of, of this particular community of faith, that maybe you had to think through the things you might share, because maybe there are, are times when you've needed help that maybe you're a little bit close-guarded in sharing that you, your life was vulnerable or that vulnerable at that time. It's humbling to need help. It's humbling to receive help. But when we receive help, it relieves a burden. And it reminds us that we are not alone. The Spirit-led mission of the church has always been a natural extension of the Spirit's ministry of helping those who are weak. In its first centuries, the church was often persecuted. The church was not in charge of the society. The church was weak and suffering. And yet from those early days, the church became known far and wide for its hospitality, which literally means love of strangers. Later on in Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul writes, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Philozania is the Greek word, literally meaning love of strangers. Relying on the Holy Spirit's help in times of weakness, the early church sought to rescue and shelter those who found themselves in need of help. Their hospitality led to the formation of hospitals. That's the story of why we have hospitals a contribution of the Christian faith of immeasurable impact. And this same spirit empowers the mission of the church and the mission of this very congregation today. Today, right here, right now, the same spirit. Now, the spirit also is connecting us to Jesus our source of spiritual power. Jesus is our ascended advocate. In verse 31, we read this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all to the cross, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And the decisive verse is verse 34, says this, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The risen Jesus is not in the presence of the Trinity, in heaven, if you will, on a vacation until a future date. Jesus is hard at work blessing the world, continuing to shine his light, continuing to share his love. And one expression of this, perhaps an expression that really captures everything, is Jesus at the right hand of God, a place of authority, a place of unique authority, interceding for us. And here's another spirit connection. This ministry of Jesus interceding for us is one of advocacy. Advocacy. Some of you know where I'm going here because in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit this way. He's introduced as the advocate. In verses 16 and 17 of John 14, Jesus says this to his disciples, The Father will give you another advocate, another advocate. Jesus has already claimed advocacy. He already knows that when he ascends to be at the right hand of the Father, he will be advocating for his disciples. But he says another advocate will be given to you by the Father, and he will help you and be with you. Help you? Yes, help you and be with you forever. And then Jesus names it the Spirit of Truth. Advocate in Greek is parakletos, paraclete, which means to call alongside. It means, having an advocate means someone to come alongside you down here, If you think about God being up there, and and the imagery here is of God glorified, Jesus raised, ascended to the right hand of the Father, that creates distance. And, And some of us might be tempted in thinking that just means God is that further away from us. But Jesus speaks of the Father giving us the Spirit, and that shortens the distance to no distance at all. Indeed, this presence is a presence within, closer to us than our very breath. The Spirit is with us on our end of the connection with Jesus, who is interceding with the Father on our behalf. Advocacy is about getting a hand up from above. A person who is an advocate is someone in a more favorable position who speaks on behalf of another or who pleads for them. Think about a a legal advocate or perhaps guides another with the wisdom that they have. During the COVID-19 shutdown, I remember watching a lot of YouTube videos. And one of the YouTube stories that I remember watching and having a fun time with was watching the beginning and really the momentous takeoff of a YouTube channel that was a collaboration 
between a social media savvy college student from back east and his father, a grizzled veteran of many years in the car sales business. Their goal was to come alongside those who were intimidated with the prospect of buying a car, which a lot of people have insecurities about, and provide them a hand up from the level of greater wisdom and experience. They wanted to build a business that helped people who had a sense of weakness and anxiety to be lifted up into a position of confidence. And they eventually settled on a name for their business. Your auto advocate. Our text concludes with a reference to the victory that was won through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not just 1 Corinthians 15 that speaks of the triumph of, in the rising of Jesus Christ. In verse 37, we are proclaimed to be more than conquerors. Hooper nekao, which really is basically saying hyper Nike. We talked about that last week. Anytime you talk about victory in the New Testament, you're talking about a, a, a worldwide shoe brand based in Oregon. Uh, which one came first? I'll let you figure that one out. But the, the hyper means super. Super conquerors. More than conquerors. This is the practical result of the victory of Jesus. We share in this victory, and it is a victory of coverage in a covenant that is comprehensive. This takes us to this final resounding scripture that when it's read publicly, there's something special about it, isn't it? Isn't there? These are sacred words. They're inspirational words. They are timeless words. Verse 35 explores the range of all the things we are vulnerable to, our common experience in the human condition. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What might have the power to separate us from the love of Christ? Each one of these things that's listed is more powerful than you and me. And we know that. We might try to deny it, but on our own, without Christ, these are all things we cannot defeat on our own. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Any of these things that we are weak in the face of this is a description of our need. And we might wonder if God can help us. But the answer to that question is a resounding nothing. Nothing in all of creation, neither death nor any powers, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. The covenant relationship we have with Christ it provides comprehensive coverage 
You know, at times the church has been accused of being so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the kind of the, the 19th century uh, culture despisers of religion, you know, people like Nietzsche, uh, really came down hard on this aspect because the church kind of did have a little bit, it took on a little bit different tone than the early church did. And there was a lot of denial of the, the mission of the church and a lot of let's just sweep certain needs under the carpet so that, and just wait until heaven. But that's not the New Testament version of the story, nor was it what the early church was committed to. From the very beginning, the true story has actually been exactly the opposite. The early persecuted church, way weaker than the church has ever been since, except in places in this world right now where the church is indeed persecuted. They believed wholeheartedly in the life to come. It meant something. They knew that they didn't just want this life and their experience of this life to go on forever. When your family members are arrested and jailed or killed because of their beliefs, that world is not the world you want to keep going forever. We, we have a taste of that, even in our own lives. Those of us whose lives and family lives have been touched by by cancer, or brokenness, or addiction. We, that dimension of life, we don't, that's not the life we want to go on forever. But even while looking ahead to glory beyond this world, the church was a force for life in this world. We've already mentioned the care for the weak and vulnerable and the development of hospitals to care for them. One vulnerable population that the church has consistently cared for throughout its existence is children. Written evidence from the first centuries of the church, such as the letter to Diognetus and Augustine's letter to Boniface, show that the Christian community rescued and raised children who were abandoned or exposed by their parents who didn't want them which actually was a fairly common practice in the Roman Empire, lamentably. So even as they faced persecution, Christians were known as those who lived counterculturally. They did two things. The first is the ancient records record that they were known for being people who did not cast away their own children if they were an inconvenience. Christians became known for that when that's not what the world did. The world did the opposite. But they went beyond this by treating as their own the foundlings that had been abandoned. Children who you would just run across and find in a culture that exposes children, abandons them publicly in public spaces, Perhaps just with the hope that someone might come along. 
the church were the people who came along. And just like, it's like they listened to Jesus' teaching of the Good Samaritan, and they didn't walk by on the other side of the road. They picked up the child, and they raised the child as their own. The church has done this and things like it throughout its entire history. One of the unknown stories of Handel's Messiah is that, is, uh, is that its connections with London's foundling hospital in the 1700s. This hospital was started in 1739 as a home for, quote, exposed and deserted young children. 1700s, London, exposed and deserted kids. But as an expression of his Christian faith, Handel became a primary supporter, financial supporter of the Foundling Hospital. And over the last 10 years of his life, he made it possible. He basically took the performance of the Messiah from the concert halls to the chapel at the Foundling Hospital. And for those 10 years, every time the Messiah was performed, it was a fundraiser for that institution. And reflecting his own personal mission, when he died, it was revealed that Handel had willed the full score of the Messiah to the Foundling Hospital. We continue in this same spirit of mission to vulnerable children, expressed in mission partnerships that focus on supporting orphans in Uganda and Haiti, as well as our support of Pregnancy Resource Center that we're in the midst of right now between Mother's Day and Father's Day. And this same spirit might motivate us to seek fresh approaches, spirit-led approaches to securing the safety of children who are vulnerable, weak in the face of mass shootings. And we can start right where we are because the Spirit of God is within us. Right in the middle of the particular political tribes that we are a part of, amid the swirling issues, the Spirit might give us confidence to consider a new question. Is there an opportunity for me to speak more passionately about the sacred purpose of protecting vulnerable children? Might there be an opportunity to speak publicly of the God who cares? The God who empowers a church with his very own spirit to care for the vulnerable as an expression of Christ's ultimate victory over death. Because, friends, Jesus' victory over death has brought us into the security of eternal life, where the Spirit helps us now for our good and helps us toward our glory forever. We share this victory whenever we follow the Spirit into the world of human weakness, working toward God's good purposes and working to secure the lives of those who are most vulnerable. And we do so with the confidence of those who can say that nothing, nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alleluia. Amen.